everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and I'm excited for a conversation today that is unlike anything we've talked about on this show before. We're embarking on an exploration of the deep interconnectedness between people and planet and how time in nature and cultivating food can have health benefits for our fertility and our whole body wellness. Joining me today is my friend, Dr. Michelle Seguin, board-certified family medicine and lifestyle medicine physician, certified functional medicine practitioner, educator, gardener, and mama. She believes in a lifestyle-driven approach to health that focuses on supporting the individual, family, and community. And much of her advocacy and teaching is centered on the premise that food is medicine. In 2022, Dr. Seguin joined Parsley Health as a telemedicine physician. Parsley is the nation's largest holistic medical practice combining nutrition, lifestyle, and advanced medical testing to help people suffering from chronic conditions. I've really been looking forward to connecting. Welcome to the show, Dr. Michelle. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Kalia. It is such a pleasure to be here today. I have such a good time learning from you, watching the foods that you're making, looking at your gorgeous food photos. And, you know, I have my undergraduate degree is in nutrition and you do such a beautiful job of bringing nutrition to life. And I just so admire your creativity and your willingness to explore your local community and really, I think, take advantage of what's available to you seasonally and locally to bring these delicious meals to life. Oh, that is so kind. Thank you so much. And um, I really think you, you know, speak to the heart of my, I guess, exploration into gardening, really. I mean, I think that's really where much of it started was just to better understand, you know, all of the nutritional science that we're learning, but on a very, you know, practical and, and fundamental level. So thank you so much for your support. Yeah, beautiful. Well, I think many of our listeners know that my family moved from the big city to a farm in 2020, and I'm an aspiring gardener. I'm not quite there yet, but it's a goal that I have for myself. Uh, I'm hoping that you'll be able to share with our listeners maybe some of the health benefits of gardening, because this is actually a great way that we can support our resiliency. Will you tell us some of the most compelling health benefits of getting out there into the garden? Oh, definitely. Um, thank you so much for this question. Uh, I love this topic, as you can tell. And so, uh, you know, I I really enjoy kind of diving into the literature on this topic, because there really is a growing amount of research looking at the health benefits of gardening, whether it be, you know, home gardeners, uh, whether it be in a group setting like community gardens, and even in more you know, other institutional settings. So whether it be with schools or hospitals. And one of my favorite studies came out a couple years ago in the journal Cities, and it was titled Why Garden? Attitudes and Perceived Health Benefits of Home Gardening. And in this research, they looked at data from over 6,000, you know, different respondents. And they showed that there was significant associations between improvements in overall well-being, perceived stress, and increases in physical activity with frequent gardening. And researchers found that those who gardened on a frequent basis, like two to three times a week, uh, had demonstrated the most or the greatest perceived health benefits. 
And the really neat thing about the study, at least in my opinion, was that, you know, while I think those are important and we probably kind of assumed that those health benefits were there, um, you know, the most interesting thing to me was that pleasure, not health, was the primary motivator for gardening. And I really think that that speaks to just our innate connections as humans, you know, with the natural world. That is so lovely to think about. I I wasn't even really appreciating that when I asked you about the health benefits, that there's also this pleasure aspect, which is so important for our health. And I've, I've thought um, how rewarding when you are in your garden and then you actually get to harvest from your garden and see the fruits of your labor, literally. I mean, how incredibly rewarding and satisfying and pleasure-filled. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that, you know, is, I mean, that's a driver for behavior change, right? I think like when we think about, you know, the activities in our lives and those that are pleasurable, we're going to be more apt to do them. (laughs) Um, And so I think that, you know, gardening is really a beautiful way to kind of create that connection to your food and where it comes from and to, you know, really um, strengthen that um, so that, you know, it'll improve obviously your physical health and well-being um, because, you know, other research shows that, you know, gardeners compared to non-gardeners are more likely to meet the daily recommended intake of fruits and vegetables. And so, you know, by gardening itself, we're likely going to be eating more fruits and vegetables because gardeners like to eat what they grow, right? (laughs) So, uh, but there's also, you know, all of these beautiful mental, emotional health and well-being, you know, benefits that we're seeing too. Wonderful. And on the topic of relevant articles, just in 2022, the Washington Post published this article that was called, What My Garden Taught Me About Infertility. And it essentially talked about how the lessons learned in this particular writer's garden could be applied to her fertility journey as well. And it was things like getting the soil conditions right and the pain that you might experience when things don't grow how you thought they would or um, maintaining hope of trying again at the beginning of a new season. And I thought that was such a beautiful parallel between gardening and the fertility journey and so many of the things that we can experience. And as a gardener and a doctor, are there some parallels that you've also identified between gardening and the care of our health and our bodies? Oh, definitely. And I I had to look that article up when you shared it with me because it was just so beautiful. And I think that the parallels you shared are just spot on. You know, I, I often tell the story about during my first year of medical school that, you know, I studied at my kitchen table in my apartment and I always had a copy of, you know, Elliot Coleman's new organic grower next to my Netter Anatomy and Atlas. <laughs> and so <laughs> they're both kind of, you know, sentinel, uh, you know, publications in each of those fields. But um, I just, I just found it so fascinating. You know, I'd be kind of flipping through each of them in tandem, looking at the parallels between soil biology and plant physiology and, you know, our own physiology. And um, it wasn't until I got out into practice a few years later that I came across um, the work of Dr. Daphne Miller, who is uh, a prominent family medicine physician and author and food is medicine champion. And she wrote about, you know, a similar experience in her book called Pharmacology, but with an F, not (laughs) PH. And um, in in that book, there's a whole chapter um, where she describes 
um, going out to a farm and learn, you know, talking with the farmer about soil health and the type of testing that farmers do to look at, you know, the, the health of their soil. And he handed her the soil chemistry report and she couldn't believe how similar it looks to the lab reports that we interpret for, you know, patients in our practices. And so, uh, you know, NPK is what we talk about a lot in terms of nutrients for soil. So nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. These are essential nutrients for soil health, you know, for plant health and for our own health. And when we think about it, you know, plants and fungi are really the interplay between our bodies and the soil. That's, that's how we, you know, are able to kind of, we, we share those nutrients. Mm -hmm. That is a very cool visual and parallel. And you just reminded me, I haven't thought about this for so long, but when I was in college, I took an organic gardening class. And it, as part of that, we went out and we got these soil samples. And I remember we had to get soil samples from a couple different locations. And then we did this microbial analysis and we looked at the soil under the microscope and we did all these things. And there was this beautiful you know, teeming community of all these microbes. And that's so similar to for example, the human gut and yeah. how there's all these organisms working together. And we, we do these, you know, comprehensive stool analysis and we see these, all of these bacterial colonies, but that's so similar to what's happening in the soil. It is so true. And what's really um, interesting here is I had the chance to uh, see Dr. Daphne Miller speak at a conference, and it was actually a really amazing conference um, that was called Farms, Food, and Health. And this was, you know, almost 10 years ago now, but it was a one-day medical conference that brought together, you know, farmers and food service workers, um, you know, dietitians, physicians, all looking at ways that we could kind of bridge food systems and health systems. But anyways, Daphne was the keynote and the way she closed her talk was by sharing uh, microscopic pictures of soil microbes and gut microbes. And she said, you know, can you see the difference? Which one is the soil and which one is the gut? And that's, you know, basically she and she went through another picture. Another series was a picture, a cross section of um, a plant uh, root and then the cross section of a villi within uh, the gut and looking at just the amazing similarities in structure and function. So um, really, you know, in the way that she closes, she says, you know, we are soil. So it's really um, very profound when we think about, you know, how we are really all connected. Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes we talk about community medicine and it's this interconnectedness between people or between groups, but really there's also this connection between people and the planet. That's this other bi-directional avenue of communication that I, I'll even admit, I think I take it for granted sometimes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, um, one of the things that I guess maybe a time in my life when I really started to appreciate the parallels more between, you know, um, gardening and just nature and planetary health and our own health was when I began studying, you know, systems biology and functional medicine, you know, because as a gardener, you know, we're constantly asking ourselves the question, why? Why is this plant yellow? Why are my soil levels low in this nutrient? Why is this pest here? And, you know, we could take a reductionistic approach and simply amend the soil um, with a, you know, a, a specific amendment or use a pesticide. But, you know, is that really what's best for us, for the garden and for our ecosystem? And so, you know, all of these connect, you know, conditions are so interconnected. And 
you know, that's where I really become interested in regenerative agriculture and organic gardening principles. And it, I think it's really helped me become a better doctor in the process because, you know, as a gardener, it takes observance or, you know, observation and patience and dedication and hope and love to nurture a garden. And I think all of those processes, you know, they, they all apply and all those things apply to caring for our own health, as well as for caring for the health of others. That was so beautifully spoken. And it's just making me think I was talking to another um, a colleague recently, and we were talking about autoimmune disease specifically, and kind of asking the question of, you know, why, why do humans maybe grow in similar conditions, but one person will be more prone to autoimmune disease than the other. And then we start to look at their environment and the context around how these diagnoses come about. And it's very similar as you're talking to the soil, like what were the soil conditions that kind of set us up for health or being resilient or having less of those things? And it's similar in the human body. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the the other aspect to this too is, you know, in the garden, we're not just thinking about an isolated plant, right? Like we're thinking about, you know, what are all of the conditions? What are the other plants that are nearby? Um, and, you know, I, I really am getting, I'm becoming more and more interested in understanding, you know, interplanting so that, you know, for one example, so I, we have issues with, um, with grasshoppers and some other pests that like to go after our brassicas, so things like kale and cabbage. Uh, but I learned that, you know, those types of pests, they don't like alliums, so they don't like, you know, onions and garlic. And so this time of year, it's fall right now, so this is when we plant our garlic because it overwinters. And so what I like to do now is in our garden beds, I kind of create a border of garlic along the outside edges. And then in the spring, I'll transplant my kale seedlings in between those rows. And I found that that interplanting that, you know, it the benefits of the alliums, they keep the pests away. And then they also tend to, you know, grow better together in that setting. So just understanding like the, the attributes of the plants and the connections that they have with one another. Um, you know, also, I'm sure, are you, I'm sure you're familiar with like the three sisters, you know, principle from more indigenous, um, you know, uh, wisdom and, and around uh, agriculture and thinking about, you know, the benefits of planting, you know, beans, corn and squash together and how they each have attributes that, that help one another. Hello, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by a brand that truly understands the secret to a thriving pregnancy. We're talking about Needed, the perinatal nutrition powerhouse here to support you on your journey to parenthood. Just like we've been talking about planetary health in this episode, one of the magic ingredients to optimal fertility in pregnancy is a happy and healthy microbiome. Needed's pre and probiotic supplement is packed with clinically studied strains of probiotics. Plus there's prebiotics and polyphenols. It's like a VIP party in your digestive tract. Thinking beyond just your gut health, the needed pre and probiotic supplement also supports key perinatal needs like vaginal health and iron absorption. Formulated in collaboration with leading perinatal and microbiome experts, Needed's pre and probiotic is the real deal. Take it before, during, and after pregnancy, or even beyond. 
If you're ready to kickstart your fertility and pregnancy journey, head on over to thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY, that's all one word, for 20% off your order. That's thisisneeded.com and use code FUNCTIONALFERTILITY for 20% off your order. Wow. I love hearing gardeners talk about their garden because oh, there's such love and intention around it. And I, maybe you, maybe you'll have some advice for me here. I was talking to another doctor, gardener friend, and he's so dedicated to his garden. And I just tell myself this story that I don't have time. Like I don't have time to nurture another thing. I've already got my children in my practice and I just, I can't take care of another thing. And he's like, if it if it's very important to you and it's nourishing to you, you just make time. You just find time to do it. So my question to you, how do you find time in your busy life to to cultivate this garden? Yeah. And I I think that's it's such a great point. And I a lot of people ask ask us that as well, because you know, as as you know, we you know we have a, a little boy who's very active and busy and you know, busy um practice. Um, but I feel like you know, um, by nurturing the garden, it nurtures us. And so, you know, I think that it's, it's just become like a priority for us, just as you would prioritize any other type of, you know, self-care activities and the other like um, pillars of lifestyle medicine. And um, that actually brings me to an interesting, another interesting paper that came out about, um, you know, just last month in the Journal of um, American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine, uh, where there were a group of doctors that are calling for nature as medicine to become the seventh unofficial pillar of lifestyle medicine, you know, right along everything like nutrition and sleep and movement and stress management, social connection, you know, we need nature right there with it. Isn't it so funny? My husband, who um, he's a he's a rancher yeah. and spends a lot of time outside. And I think he's, his health is thriving because he's outside with the plants, with the animals. And the last couple of days, I've just been, I don't know, feeling a little anxious or just a little off. And this morning I'm making my coffee and he said, I was thinking last night, I think, I think you need to go outside. <laughs> and it's intuitive. It's so intuitive to him that when you're feeling unwell or you're feeling not yourself, that you would return to nature. And I think um, such a good reminder for me that, you know, the more you are in nature, you kind of affirm to yourself that that is healing and you make time and you prioritize doing that. So I'm in a, I'm getting out there today just to keep myself accountable. I will tell everyone listening, I'm going outside. Go ahead. Yes. Go outside. <laughs> outside. Because um, this other piece I wanted to talk to you about is I've seen patients and providers. I've been reading about the utilization of horticulture therapy, which was somewhat new to me, but um, Dr. Constance Shapiro has written about this and has even coined the term infertility gardens, you know, describing the use of therapeutic gardens to harness that healing power of being in nature. When you're working with your patients and maybe they're like me and they have these whole stories about their time, how do you work with them to identify the best ways for them to engage in nature in a way that's healing for them? Uh, Yeah, so... I would say that, you know, nature and nature contact, you know, come up 
more naturally in our conversations around stress and stress management. It just seems like a pretty natural point where people bring it up, whether they're, you know, just like you did, you know, where I think that you're feeling a little stressed, might be a little anxious, might be a good time to get outside. And that's kind of the natural point in our conversations where it comes up. Um, and, you know, there, there was kind of the, the, I guess it was another landmark paper in nature in 2019 that actually quantified the amount of time we should be spending in nature for those maximal benefits. And so um, this paper had found that 120 minutes of nature contact per week was kind of the sweet spot for improvements in self-reported well-being and health status. And that pattern was consistent across, you know, different groups, including, you know, older adults and those with long-term health issues or chronic health conditions. And so really like everyone can benefit, you know, from being out in nature. And also the thing to note is that the activities, you know, or that contact, it can be passive. It can be watching the birds and listening to the birds. It doesn't have to be a physically active, you know, um, uh, engagement. And so, uh, and also, you know, that time can be split up throughout the week. It doesn't have to be 120 minutes altogether. And so those small little moments that we make for ourselves, you know, getting outside in the morning to get that, you know, first blue light, you know, in your eyes to help kind of set our circadian rhythm, like that's helping, you know, boost, you know, your uh, nature contact and the benefits of nature contact as well. That does make it pretty approachable. Two hours mm -hmm. a week, just mm -hmm. getting out and breathing the fresh air. And okay, that's going to be my new goal. And <laughs> I will let you know how it goes so that <laughs> I can really commit to this because really, like you said, it, with it, it's okay that it can be a passive contact. And for me, that means like, you could probably sit outside and still read a book, like read a yeah. novel on your back porch and just be in the fresh air or be in the sunshine. And that counts. Yes, totally. And actually, um, there's an, another doctor that's like kind of pioneer in the field of nature therapy. His name is Dr. John LaPuma. And, you know, he actually came up with kind of two screening questions for clinicians around, you know, nature deficiency disorder is what he calls it. Yeah. Um, but the, the two questions are first, you know, have you been outside yet today? And then number two was, have you been outside in nature in the last week to either walk, hike, play with a pet, listen to the birds, garden, have a picnic. So again, it just, it really reinforces that it doesn't have to be, you know, a strenuous hike or, you know, a, a long run, like those things like, you know, playing with a pet or, you know, taking your kids to the park, you know, those are all opportunities for us to, you know, you know, basically get the benefits of nature contact. And um, for the clinicians that are listening, you know, he even recommends kind of, you know, using a nature prescription model, similar to like setting a smart goal, like say, you know, you're going to walk, like in our town, I like to walk along the, the Houghton Canal Park. So I like to walk along the waterfront, you know, you're going to walk along the waterfront park for 20 minutes with a friend with your phone off you know, and you're going to do that three days a week and, you know, follow up with your patients on, you know, how they're doing with those lifestyle changes. I love it. I will be writing myself a nature <laughs> prescription right after yeah. this. Yeah. I should, I wish I would have um, remembered to look up the details of this paper, but you're reminding me of a paper I read a couple years ago and it was 
I think older adults and they were just spending time in a, it was a a forest bathing scenario. Mm -hmm. They weren't hiking. It was chairs Mm -hmm. in the forest and they were tracking their heart rate variability. And they saw that their heart rate variability improved so much just by sitting in the forest and observing and being out there. It's amazing. Yeah. There's such, such amazing work coming out of, you know, Japan and the Shinrin Yoku movement. It's so cool looking at heart rate variability, looking at natural killer cells and thinking about immune function. Um, So yeah, I think there's, there's so much healing potential that we can all untap with, you know, just the simplest of encounters. Mm -hmm. Well, if I bring this back to fertility again, Mm -hmm. it seems that there's some emerging research, very early data showing us this connection between exposure, exposure to greenness and sperm quality. And I'm wondering if you might talk to us a little bit about some of this kind of very early data. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, as we said, I think it's just really interesting to see how this research is expanding. And I love to see research around green space and nature contact, you know, now reaching into the fertility and reproductive health space. I think this is great. And uh, there was a study, you know, from uh, 2021 where researchers in China had found an association between green sa- green space exposure uh, with semen volume and sperm quality. And, you know, further studies, of course, are needed to better determine the causality of the yeah. association, right? But, you know, and to think about potential mechanisms. Um, but as I kind of reflected on those preliminary findings, you know, made me think about the different nodes of the functional medicine matrix and, yeah. you know, totally thinking about, you know, what kind of HPA access associations, you know, could be occurring just through reductions in cortisol. And then also just the potential, you know, reduction and mitigation of toxic exposures. If you're you know, spending more time in green space, it's, there's a lot, lot to unpack and a lot to learn, but it's exciting to see more and more data uh, for men and women within the fertility space. So maybe what I'll do from now on is I'll actually prescribe a date night in nature for my couples who are trying to conceive, because obviously there's a benefit for both people. So if my patients aren't getting like picnic date night prescriptions in their treatment plan, this is why. I love it. (laughs) I just love it. (laughs) Well, as we're planning our picnic menu, I have to talk to you about seasonal eating while you're here, because uh, in my world, I just think you're the queen of seasonal (laughs) eating and you make all these amazing recipes So will you recap some of the benefits of eating seasonally for us, uh, both for our body and for the planet? Oh, oh, sure. Yeah. And I still feel like even in this area too, and I feel like as a gardener, just you're always learning, like we're always going to be, you know, learning through experience. And so there's, and in this space, we're still learning a lot of the research that is out around, you know, seasonality and, you know, bioavailability of nutrients is is still just from animal models. So we don't have a whole lot of human, you know, data yet. Um, but one of our, you know, colleagues and, and uh, mentors, Dr. Deanna Minnick has been doing a wonderful job kind of summarizing some of those preliminary studies. And, um, you know, one of the, the gems that she shared was that, you know, eating plant foods that are in season, you know, optimizes their bioavailability and the metabolic effects compared with eating them out of season, again, in animal models. But, you know, I think intuitively that that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, and you know, it's also, I think it's, it's important to say that, you know, I still want you to eat 
any any plants, you know, are better are better than no plants. So it's okay if it's out of season. But I think recognizing that when you eat in season, you're likely tapping into greater benefits than when it's out of season. So with that being said, what advice might you offer someone who maybe has a newly, uh, to use a gardening a pun, a newly blossomed awareness of seasonal eating, what advice do you have? Yes, I think the best thing you could do, well, there's a couple of things, but I think the best thing you could do is just go to your local farmer's market. Um, you know, go and check out what's growing in season right now in your community. Uh, you will learn so much. Um, our, you know, local growers are just amazing people. They are such a wealth of information and knowledge. They'll love to talk to you about the varieties they're growing and why and the best ways to make them um, and what they go well with. And I, I had one farmer tell me, you know, that what grows together goes together. And I think that's so true. Like when we look at, you know, kind of staple culinary combinations, you know, throughout different cultures and throughout the course of time, like many of those things, you know, they, they were grown together. <laughs> And, you know, we didn't have a lot of advanced you know, preservation techniques and things like that. So a lot of these staple dishes, you know, these were things that we would eat, um, eat together. And so talk to, you know, go to a local farmer's market and find out, you know, what's growing in your community. I love my local little farmer's market and it runs most of the year. So, you know, I think it's only November and December where we don't have a farmer's market. So there's bound to be a farmer to chat with in most towns. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, I, um, as I've said, I, I absolutely adore the meals that you create and you post these just gorgeous photos of meals that you've prepared with all of these ingredients that you've grown and just the different textures and colors. And it always is really inspiring. And I'm hoping that we can kind of wrap this episode today with a fun question. And that is, what is your go-to meal when you want to get as many veggies in as possible and it's all in one meal? So many veggies just all at once. I know this is really hard. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about this question and what came to my mind. So like in the optimal situation where, you know, everything's like I'm in season, the garden is in flush. Uh, you know, I really, I really want to make a like an heirloom garden salad. And I know that sounds, you know, uh, kind of cliche, but I was, it, it makes me think of this video clip from a series on PBS called Kitchen Vignettes. Have you heard of it before? No. Them? Okay, you got to check it out. Yeah, um, I will Google it. Yes, definitely Google it. Um, So these are little short like cooking segments. They're only five to maybe eight minutes. Um, and in each one, the video focuses on a specific dish and it often highlights either like homegrown, like food from the producer's garden, or she reaches out to other like small scale growers. And there's this one video that's called John Forte's heirloom salad. And it's just it's this beautiful collection. The video starts with John holding this, you know, ceramic bowl with the most colorful salad you've ever seen. And he just describes like the intention with each ingredient, um, both in its purpose in the garden and in the bowl and for our health. And that's, that's the approach I like to take when I'm, you know, just kind of gleaning from the garden as I'm walking through and I see what is fresh, what's available, you know, and then I like to think about, you know, all of the 
the reasons why this is nourishing me. And a lot of it comes back to, you know, I think about the diversity of the plants and, and how that's contributing to the health of my microbiome. And I think about the colors of the plants and how, you know, they're contributing to my different, you know, systems depending on, on the pigments that are present. Um, and then also, you know, I let just, I, I, it brings all about just gratitude for the, you know, the fact that these are here and these are gifts and, um, you know, I just want to continue to, you know, nourish myself and my body and my family. And so that we can kind of continue to help nourish and support the garden as well. So I have to go with like an heirloom salad if it's like in season. Um, but one other thing I'll say, and we've talked about like our love of like the veggie bowl with like some kind of sauce and like, I'm definitely... <laughs> doing that like when I'm kind of out of season from the garden like with lots of our storage like root veggies and then making like a good sauce either like an herby green sauce or I really like um like a miso um ginger kind of tahini like dressing if I want something a bit more savory but I guess I picked two <laughs> that sounds that's my yes we have talked about this thing yes. with a sauce yes is the go-to strategy okay wait but now I have to go back to your salad really quick yes, what dressing yes. are you putting on your salad are you oh. using a, a vinaigrette or what salad is such a lovely way to it's a delivery vessel for some yummy dressing <laughs> yes yes and honestly in this situation it would be a very simple vinaigrette you know just yes. I would be using just olive oil I like to use lemon like shallots and then like whichever kind of vinegar I have on hand, honestly, you know, thinking about whether it's, you know, red wine vinegar, but just, you know, just something with a little bit of brightness to kind of open it up and then a little bit of like flaky sea salt. But I just kind of want to taste those vegetables for, you know, all the goodness that they are when they're, especially when they're in season. Let those ingredients shine. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure all of our listeners are feeling hungry now. Yes. So I want to extend my gratitude to everyone who's joined us for today's episode. I'm always so honored to have our listeners spend time with us. To our show's producer, Paola Martini, so much gratitude. And Dr. Michelle Seguin, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing of your knowledge and your heart. It's just a pleasure to chat with you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Clea. This was just a treat. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. See you next time, everyone. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaleawaddles.com slash podcast where you can find more episodes on all things fertility. Fertility.